0: Greetings and blessings, saints. Welcome to the Revelation Decoded Podcast. I'm your host and teacher, Gil Maza. We are going through an epic study through the book of Revelation, unlike any you might have heard before. Did the first century Christians understand the book of Revelation when it was first written by the Apostle John? You bet. They understood it and acted on it, and therefore they were spared the greatest tribulation that could ever come upon the Jewish people. And the cataclysmic end of the old covenant. Think you know the Book of Revelation? Come and see. You always bring up a good one, man. I'm telling you, got my got my juices flowing. I think I'm growing hair right now. <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody else? Something easy, like what color were God's eyes? Anything?
1: <laughs>
0: but what soda did he drink? You know, anything nothing (laughs) all right then i'm gonna meet you and keep going then we know that jesus is the cornerstone of the new temple of god which is the spiritual temple of the new testament and the apostle peter reaffirms this and i had a few more scriptures i don't know where i put them i think i got them over here let me double check but um there was a couple other scriptures that I wanted to read, especially talking about the fact that God, that the Son of God would be the cornerstone, that Jesus is the cornerstone. And he says himself right here. In fact, I don't really need to go that far, but in, in Matthew 21, it says, the stone which the builders rejected, that's him, became the chief cornerstone. Who's the chief cornerstone? Jesus Christ. And so I'll read 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 6, just to confirm that. 1 Peter 2, 6, it says... And coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, that's Jesus, you also as living stones are built are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a, co- a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but... This is, he, remember, he's breaking down the same verse Jesus spoke of. He breaks it down. He says, For you who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this has become the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they're disobedient... To the word and to this doom they were appointed. You see, very clear, very clear. While instance after instance can be presented to show the complete rebellion and obstinacy of the Jews of the day to believe in Jesus and try to kill him, Matthew 23 gives us a full picture of the complete and utter corruption of the law and the prophets by the religious leadership of Jesus' day and his response to their complete refusal to receive him. Let me ask you, saints. Uh, in fact, before I go there, let's go to Matthew 23. Let's finally tackle Matthew 23. And again, this is good and long, and I apologize for that, but I want it's important to read it to get the context and understand it. It says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples and said, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe. But do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them upon men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. For they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at the banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues, and respectful thing greetings in the marketplace, being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. So that was the preview. Now comes the heavy part of the sermon for Jesus, okay? But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, hypocrites, You devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you'll receive even greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Did you hear that? He called those leaders, those scribes and Pharisees, sons of hell. Which, later on in Revelation, will make up the synagogue of Satan. A synagogue is a Jewish place of worship. So what would a synagogue of Satan be except worship Jewish worshippers in a synagogue worshipping Satan? Later on he calls them sons of the devil, so I mean, there's a lot more to it. Woe to you blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, they're obligated you fools and blind men which is more important the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold and whoever swears by the altar that is nothing but whoever swears by the offering of the altar now you're obligated you blind men which is more important the offering or the altar that sacrifices the altaring? so what was more important to the jewish leader, unbelieving jewish leadership of that day the scribes the pharisees and the sadducees not the temple but the gold Not the altar, but the offering. Because they took a lot of it, most of it, for themselves. Therefore, whoever swears by the altar, guess what? Swears by both the altar and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears both by the temple and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by both the throne of God and him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. In other words, they major in the minors and minor in the majors. Woe to you scribes Pharisees, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside is full of robbery and self-indulgence, as eventually the temple would become. You blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and the dish so that the outside may be clen- become clean also. In other words, they were clean on the outside, but they were corrupted, corroded, and filthy on the inside, rotten to the core, putrid, rancid. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs on which the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly, You're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, lawlessness is a good word, and I'm going to give you a little tidbit for free. When Thessalonians talks about the man of lawlessness being revealed, is that some crazy antichrist? Or are we talking about something else? Well, stay tuned. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tomb... Listen to this. You build the tombs of the prophets, and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say... If we'd been living in those days of our fathers, we would have not been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. What did he just say there? That they were the tenants killing his prophets. They were the tenants killing the servants that God was sending to them. So they're responsible already for that. He says, you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then, he says, with the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Now he said it again. Therefore, listen to this. Now, this is going to be a retelling of that parable. Therefore, behold, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Okay? God is sending his servants to collect the proceeds of that vineyard. Guess what? Some of them you will kill and crucify and some you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. So that parable is going to that's how it's fulfilled. That's how it comes true. Now here's the key verse, verse 35. So that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on the land or the earth from the blood of righteous Abel, right? The first son, one of the first sons of Adam and Eve, to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the altar and the temple and the altar, which was a more recent murder that they had committed against the priest. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon who? This generation. Wow. I mean, that is incredible. Listen to what he says, what Jesus, how he closes here. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Who's responsible there? Jerusalem. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. And that's that desolation. That's the abomination of desolation. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed he who is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, Martin, uh, to kind of gut to your question a little bit, Right? And I know you can't answer me, so this is a little unfair, but I'm going to do it. Here he says, how often I wanted to gather your children together. The way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but who was unwilling? Was God unwilling? Right? No, he says they were unwilling. They were unwilling to give themselves over to God through Messiah, and they were unwilling to give their children to God. So, That says a lot right there. It should maybe open up a little more of the question. Because I know you've always had that question and you've always struggled with it. And I'm glad you do because if the Holy Spirit is inside you making you more human, yeah, it should hurt. It should hurt us so much that we couldn't stand to see it and do something and, and more humanity do more something, do something about it. But the church sits idly by a lot of times. Not all of it. A lot of people aren't there working hard, trying to make a better place for the world. And think about it. If you believe that you're going to be raptured up, then do you really care what children get left behind? Those children are going to go through the, you know, seven, you know, uh, levels of hell that Revelation brings supposedly in the future. So are we really caring for the people, the kids of this generation? Why shouldn't we be trying to gather them like a hen gathers their flock? right we that's what we should be doing just like jesus was doing then to them we should be doing now to everybody in the world that we possibly can so open it up for questions real quick that was a lot
1: i thought about the same thing when i read that last paragraph about what you said about the um mm-hmm. gathering their kids um what is it um yes yeah together under under her her wings yeah i thought about it as soon as i read that i'm
0: like oh yeah well think about it right jesus said for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that nobody should perish but that all should come to have everlasting life so he is god is doing everything he possibly can to gather them to get them right bring them to him but they're the ones that are saying no to him and, and and holding their kids back as well What did it say earlier? It said, you go and make a convert, a proselyte, but you turn that person into twice as much a son of hell as you are. Right? So they, I mean, by their own actions, they are thwarting, they're trying to stop, they're trying to destroy the will of God, the plan of God, the the plan of the covenant, the way it was supposed to work out. In other words, think about it this way. You and I make an agreement. If I do something for you, you're gonna do something for me. If everybody follows that agreement, we all get paid. But then I I fulfill my end. I show up at your door and knock and say, Hey, uh, how's it going? Hey, guess what, man? Uh, I fulfilled my end. Did you fulfill your side? And you say to me, You know what? Um, I decided that we're we're gonna change the terms of this deal. And I decided that I'm gonna let you do your part, but I don't have to do mine. So have a nice day.
1: That's something I would say.
0: I know. I know. But but you see that that's what they were doing here. That's what they were doing. And when you understand it in that concept, I'm telling you the next time you read through the gospels, the next time you read through the parables, you're going to read them in an entirely different way. And again, it may not ultimately change how you feel about the end of the world and how things are going to play out. And that's fine. But the one thing that I appreciate about this view that I'm Teaching that I'm proposing that I have adopted for myself is that at least at, at the very least it wakes up the scriptures and brings out the Jewish part, You know the Jewishness out to us and teaches us how they would have understood these words in those days And I think that does a, right there alone The next time you read any part of the Bible you're going to start paying attention to that and you say okay How did the Jewish ears receive that? Now, what did it mean to them? Why did they react the way they did? And it's going to, I think it's going to decode a whole lot more of the Bible than just the book of Revelation. Anybody else? Well, I got 20 minutes. I think <laughs> we have one more Bible study left, and that's next Tuesday. So don't worry, I'm going to get you done on time. I'll go as far as I can sensibly go here. But as you can look, if you look at your outlines, we got a lot of scripture to read. So I'm going to take the next part, make sure I'm done before 8 and then we'll hopefully finish the rest of this but do you agree with me that this is it's chock full of stuff that i mean if if you wanted to you could do a bible study you can do a, a 10 years of bible study just on what i'm doing tonight yeah. hmm. so in other words i'm trying to justify that uh, the fact that i am dragging you slow and <laughs> you know painfully through every word here because i can't just Skip over it for the sake of getting, you know, completing a chapter, completing a, uh, and, and keep moving forward. This isn't not an overview, and that's not how I teach. I can give you a summary, but to me, the the reward is in the mining, in the digging, in the deepness of it, and just bringing it all up <clears throat> to you and, and just, you know, watching those diamonds go through your fingers as you're digging into the dirt. This is pure gold. This is pure unadulterated gold. So that's how I feel about it anyway. With that said, if nobody else has got a question, let me get through the next segment. Okay, so what we're going to do here in our final moments is establish one plank of what we're talking about here. And that is, who does Jesus say is going to kill him? I think that'd be important, right? If Jesus tells us who is going to kill him, then that should answer it for us right there. But that's not going to be enough because I'm going to have tons more for you after that. But let's look at... Who Jesus says will kill him. Let's go to Matthew 17. Matthew 17 verses 9 through 13. It says this. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them and said, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you, Elijah already came and they did not recognize him, but they did to him whatever they wished. Who is he talking about there? He's talking about John the Baptist. And he tells us many times over that it is John the Baptist that fulfilled the coming of Elijah, the final greatest, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, one of the greatest prophets, right? Not like the lawgiver Moses is number one, of course. But Elijah is the most powerful of the prophets and he says they already you know He already came and they didn't recognize him but did to him whatever they wished. that was John the Baptist But listen to this but also the son of man is going to suffer at their hands Who did John the Baptist suffer against right? Yeah, he was he was uh, persecuted by the Jews. He was turned over to, to, to Herod who eventually killed him Okay But they did whatever they wished when they didn't believe in him. It says the Son of Man is going to suffer at the same hands. Okay. And then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. So the disciples. Okay. The Jewish disciples hearing Jesus talk. And him saying Elijah's already come. If you can accept it. Elijah's here. And Matthew writes us this great little editorial comment right off the side. He says then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Now, go with me to Matthew 20, 17 to 19. 20, 17 to 19. Now, if, you, if, it can't, if it's not more clear than this, I don't know what to do. But it, in 17 and 19 says in Matthew 20, As Jesus was about to go to Jerusalem, He took the 12 disciples aside by themselves, and on the way He said to them, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man... Jesus will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death. They, who? The scribes and the priests, the chief priests and the scribes. And they will hand him over to the Gentiles, the Romans, to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day he will be raised up. Who does Jesus blame for his uh, arrest, torture and crucifixion? He blames the chief priests and the scribes to condemn him to death. I mean, I can't see how it gets more clear. But let's not leave it there. Matthew 26, 3 to 5. 26, 3 to 5. In fact, I'll start at verse 1. It says, when Jesus had finished these words, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days of the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest in Caiaphas and they plotted together to do what? To seize Jesus by stealth and what? Kill him! But they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for that. But did you see that? They plotted together to seize Jesus and to kill him. Who does Jesus blame for his death? Them in Mark 8 31. Mark 8 31. I know you're thinking, Gil, yeah, okay, I get it, you're going overboard, but trust me, this needs to be fleshed out. Mark 8 31 says, And he began to teach them, Jesus, saying that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by who? By the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Hand it over to them. In Mark 10.33. 10.33. And again, a repetition of the other gospels. Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock on him mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. Three days later he will rise again. Luke nineteen forty-one. Luke nineteen forty-one. Luke nineteen forty-one to forty-four it says. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day even you, the things which make for peace, but they have now been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you on every side. Eighty, seventy, my friends. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave you in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. You see, it's all directed at Israel, at unbelieving Israel. Let's go to John 5, 18. John 5, 18. And again, what does it say? For this reason, therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So, they thought he was blaspheming. They wanted him dead. They wanted to kill him. So Jesus says they are the ones responsible. John 7, 1. John 7, 1. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea. Why? Because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Doesn't get any plainer than that. John 8:37 8, 8:37. 37. 8, 37. You notice how this is happening throughout the entire gospel. This is not just one instance. I'm not just reading you one scripture. I'm reading you a series that goes in time and the the more he the longer he lived, the more they wanted him dead. John 8:37 I know, he says, that you're Abraham's descendants. Who are Abraham's descendants? The Jews. Israel. Yet you seek to kill me. Because my word has no place in you. And finally. 11.53. Again. I had read this this before. They were afraid to lose their place in their nation. And in 53 it says. From that day on. They planned together to kill him. Who? The chief priests. The Pharisees. Convened a council. To include the high priest Caiaphas. They all went in. On killing Jesus. Okay. So. That's. All the time I really have for tonight. And tomorrow, I mean next week, uh, Tuesday, we'll, we'll start on who the apostles say did it. But I want to use my remaining time to field your questions. Because this right there, uh, it, for me, it, was, it knocked me down and knocked the air out of me. And I had to do a double, a triple take. I had to read it over and over again. And this is just, I'm just giving you a taste. If you wanted to read all the scriptures, we would be here another half hour. So let me open it up and we can discuss it before we close for the night.
1: Yo, it's Brenda. Hi, Brenda. Um, you said they all went in on trying to kill him, but not only did they all go in on that, they went all in. Had yeah. You know, take that and flip it. In yeah, they were gung ho for killing him.
0: Yes, they were. And that's again, remember, we're not talking about all Jews for all time. And I'm going to make this point later on, but I feel it's important to say it now. Just like we don't blame all Germans for what Hitler did, right? Not all Germans everywhere are responsible for the actions of Hitler. the, The people that are being directed here are the ones that rejected the fulfillment of the Old Testament covenant forcefully. To the point that we're going to read later on where they literally persecuted and chased them. They had Saul out there killing Christians, making them recant. They cut their heads off. They tortured them. They did all these things. And they did that throughout all the book of Acts. And we're we're going to go through the whole book of Acts as you read over and over again how the Jews of the city gathered together to kill the Christians there, including Paul, including Barnabas, including Peter, and all these other guys. But thank you Brenda for that. Yes. Anybody else? Yeah, I got a question? Okay. Uh, is it a coincidence that uh, uh, the Jesus got crucified around the Passover or is there something in that? Time? Well, um, none of this uh, none of this is coincidence. None okay. none of this at all. So God knows the present, the past, the past, present and the future. And what he did, and by the way, not only does he he know it, but he he decides where to tweak it. It does in in the way he tweaks it. He basically goes along with the people that want to do what they want to do. So I remember uh, we've had this argument about Judas, right? Uh, on, on in the Old Testament, it said you know that he Jesus would be betrayed, that he would be uh, for silver and all these things, and so now it's like. Judas, is. did he have a choice? Was he forced to? Was he in that mold? Did, did he just grow up just to hang himself on a tree and, and, and betray Christ? No. God gave him the free will to decide what he wanted to do, but then God took those actions and made them complete his will. So, again, God gives you the freedom to do whatever you want, but he reserves the right to uh, what, what the results of those actions are going to be. Okay. So, yeah, so it was it a coincidence? No, it, it it was it was God knew what was gonna happen ahead of time, and he used those events to fulfill his will. And it happened to be on the Passover because you know, that's just the way it ended up working out and uh, and 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 God knew that was gonna work out that way. and he so then he was able to tell us, 800 years before it happened, guess what? He will be crucified on the Passover. He will suffer this way. His beard will get ripped out. He will be beat to death. By the time he's put on a cross, you can't even tell he's a human being. He's just this horrific, bloody piece of meat up there that you can't recognize what he is. So even the Passion of the Christ from Mel Gibson, as gruesome and as horrific as that was, still didn't do justice to what, what they left on that cross when they were done with Jesus. <laughs> All right. Anybody else?
1: Well, yeah. Um, I'm thinking again about uh, the way they killed uh, with what like Saul was going after the Christians.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it just seems like that group of people, once you kill somebody... Like, you know, I hear about serial killers, you know, they they kill that first one and then it gets easier and easier each time. And it just seems like, yeah, it took them a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of planning, a lot of thinking to kill Jesus. And once they did that, then the persecuting and the killing of the Christians got, you know, they stoned Stephen. And then they went, you know, and it's like each
0: one seemed to be easier for them. Well, yeah. And Brenda, you'll remember as we go through the book of Acts, and you've been through this this lesson of the study Bible, you remember how it escalates more and more and more and more. As we go through the book of Acts, you see them getting more and more desperate, more and more violent, because they're, they're <laughs> starting to realize that Something's about to happen and when the when the temple was finally destroyed and Jerusalem was raised to the ground and they They no longer had that connection of heaven and earth They were desolate. They were I mean the people the ones that were that got the millions of them millions died in that siege Of you know seven years they died, but the ones that were scattered Were mostly the Christian Jews, but a lot of the Jews that were in there that were not believers became enslaved by many in the rest of the world a lot of them were just sold by Ro- Rome took whoever with the survivors mm. and sold them everywhere But thank you anybody else All right, beloved again. Thank you so much for your time and your attention. I hope I, I, I went slow and uh, uh, you know um, I was purposely intentionally just trying to slow my role and and make sure that you guys we walked through this because uh, is it not a little bit contradictory than what you've been taught all your lives?
1: Yes.
0: Yeah, it is for me, right? And so I don't take this lightly. I mean, it was scary at first when I when I started realizing this. I'm like, whoa. But we'll keep plugging and we'll we'll keep going. I I hope and pray that you guys are developing and as best you can in the circumstances going on that you are will have a blessed holiday season a very merry christmas keep christ close keep him in your heart uh, no matter what you see and hear out there, whether you agree with it or you don't agree with it, it does not matter because ultimately, as citizens of the kingdom of God, keep your focus on Him. Do whatever you need to do to calm your spirit by filling in with the Word, by filling in with praise and worship, by bringing around people that will help you and strengthen you in your faith in God, that will reassure and confirm your faith in God. Because I saw, you know, as they, that famous prophet once said, If we don't hang together, they're going to hang us separately. Let me pray and I'll send you on your way. Father, again, I praise you for another opportunity to stand before your saints and teach this word, Father. I realize it's a heavy responsibility and a burden, but I love it, Father. And you make it light on my heart because you give me what I need. You help me, Lord. You you put everything in place, Father. And all I have to do is obey. If I just got that down, my life would be perfect. But I pray, Father, that you would just fill us with your Holy Spirit, especially throughout this holiday season, Father, and just do our best to put our eyes to the plow, look around us, who needs us, who needs to be fed, who needs to be clothed, who needs to be comforted, who needs a a little Christmas spirit in their life, who needs a little warmth and affection and love. And let's be about that more than anything else, Father. Let them know them. By this, we will, you will know, the world will know we're your disciples, that we have love one for another, Lord. And I'm guilty, Lord, of being passive aggressive, of being angry, of being bitter, of being spiteful, of being vindictive. And I ask for forgiveness for my sins and cleansing of my unrighteousness in the name of Jesus. And if anybody else feels the same way, I let them ask you from their hearts, Father, and I know you forgive us. You want to forgive us and you want to heal us. I just pray blessings upon everybody tonight, Lord, wherever they are, that you would just fill them with your Holy Spirit and remember your word and uh, help us, Lord, in whatever trials and tribulations we're going through right now, especially those that are sick and infirm, struggling with all kinds of issues. be there for them father we praise you in jesus name amen god bless you saints
1: see you you next tuesday
0: this concludes part two of lesson 10 behold he is coming in the clouds please join us for the conclusion of this
1: bible study in our next lesson may god richly bless you saints